Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians. We've been in a study of 1 Corinthians for some time, a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Uh, dealing with a number of things. There were, there were problems in that church, and I know you're sitting out there going, problems in a church? That's hard to believe. And I, I know it is, but you know, it was them. Uh, and so he gets this word from a person named Phoebe who was in the church at Corinth that says, hey, Paul, uh, there's some issues going on here, and we were hoping that you could write us back so that you could address some of these things because the issues are now making us fight with each other. And I know you're sitting out there going, what, fighting in a church? That's hard to believe. But it was true, that's what was happening. And it's no different with what we're gonna be talking about today as we look in 1 Corinthians chapter eight. So I'll give you just a second to turn there. Uh, At the end of the service, we're going to be baptizing people. I love that, don't you? We've we've got about about a dozen that are going to be baptized today, something that we're going to celebrate. And so after we dismiss from here, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna celebrate them and the decisions that they've made to follow the Lord. But I'm putting out a challenge here on the front end. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't followed in obedience in baptism. It's really one of the first steps that you take once you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior is following in obedience in baptism. And you're sitting out here and you go, you know what, I didn't come ready. The good news is, is we did. And so you may be thinking, I don't even have a change of clothes. Here's the good news, we do. And maybe you're like, I don't even have a towel. And I go, good news. We do. I, want to, I just want to put this out there in front of you this morning that maybe it's time to follow in obedience to the Lord and to publicly profess the decision that you've made, that you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. I'm just putting it out there on the front end. We have people, Mark Barnhill and some others, are happy to receive you and to help you to provide the clothes that you need so that you can be a part of the celebration that we're about to have here in a little bit over these others. Now, that said, I wanna take a look at this letter, okay? So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter eight. All of these things that have been going on in the church, and I love verse one, if you look at it. Here's what Paul says. Now about food sacrifice to idols. You probably aren't sitting out there this morning going, this is one of the most pressing issues facing the church today. Food that's been sacrificed to idols. Obviously, it was an issue that was facing them, So what was really the problem? Well, I wanna spin it just a little bit different on the front end so that maybe you can get it. There there are some things that nowadays, Christians really struggle with what you ought to do. I'll give you an example. Do we have anybody here that does yoga? Can Can I see your hands for a second? For as much as I can see your hands with the lights in my eyes? Do we have any people that does yoga, that, that, that do yoga? Can I see your hand? Don't be shy, it's all right. Get your hands up, all right. We've got, we've got people. Did you know that there's actually a debate about this? Now, one of the reasons that there's a debate on whether or not people should be doing yoga is because they look into the origins of yoga. There is an Eastern connection, not so much connected to Christianity, but more to Eastern thought, practices of meditation and so forth. And so you'll see some Christians that will say, you really don't need to be associating with something like that because it isn't Christian. That's one way of looking at it. Now, some other people will say, yeah, I'm not sure about all that other stuff. In fact, I didn't even know about the background. 
uh, connected to Eastern thought, and I certainly am not practicing meditation as I'm there, I'm stretching my body out. Do you see the difference between the two? Because if you can see the difference between the two on yoga, you can probably start to understand a little bit of what's going on with this church in Corinth with regard to meat. Now, I'll just be the first one to tell you up front. If somebody has barbecued some meat and they've invited me to come and eat it, I'm probably gonna come and eat it. I'm just a meat-eating guy. And in fact, you put a plate in front of me, I would pass on dessert for more ribs. That's just the way that I roll. But they were struggling with a couple of things. I mean, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a situation or a place where something just felt wrong? Or something just kind of felt out of line? There was something that wasn't exactly agreeing with your spirit. Have you ever been there before? Because I have. And it seems true of this church in Corinth. When it came to meet, what they would do is they would actually, in the, in the place of worship, they would actually consecrate meat that they were cooking to the gods that they worshiped. Now, one group believed that the spirits, and I'm talking within the Christian church in Corinth, one group believed the spirits of the pagan gods were literally absorbed into the meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. And as a result, Christians could be possessed by demons if they ate it. Now imagine that, if you really believed it. What was your rub for the meat that you were cooking today? The answer is, well, you know, pepper, salt, and things, and demons. You're like, I'll pass. One group actually believed that. Now there were others who had formerly been, had formerly been involved in pagan worship and didn't believe that you could actually like be possessed by anything in the meat. It's just, they didn't want to be a part of it anymore. It was a part of their old life. And they had left that. And they had become Christians. Or, or, or their other concern was that by actually eating the meat that had been sacrificed in the temples to other gods, you were condoning it. And so maybe I don't want to be a part of something like that. There was still a third group here. And they understood this. They were like, well, an idol is basically a block of wood or a stone, and it actually doesn't have any power, and so it's not really contaminating me or the meat that had been sacrificed. And so they would take seriously the concerns of the people around them, but they're like, you know, it's time for snacks, and that's good meat, let's eat. You see what's going on here? Now the question then becomes, what do you do? Because this is what the chapter is about. Something you need to keep in mind with Corinth. First is this, Corinth, they were polytheistic. And what that means is they believed there were a lot of gods. The temples, they're everywhere. In fact, in Corinth, you could find the cults of the gods from Egypt and Rome and Greece. They had them from everywhere. It's like walking into Luby's and just picking what you want as you go down the aisle. You just pick, and that's the way they worked. You would even see in Corinth, there's the temple of Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love, and it stood, this huge temple stood at the top of Acro-Corinth. All you had to do was look up, and you weren't really wondering who it was that they were worshiping. Of equal fame in Corinth was Poseidon. You've probably heard of him, the ruler of the sea. Now, if you're surrounded by water and all these ships are coming in, you might want to be friends with Poseidon. Because if you tick him off, he's probably gonna zap your ship when you get out to sea. They were worried about these things. Poseidon even had a large temple at a nearby village that would stand up 
And every other year, they had what they called the Isthmian Games. You know how we do the Olympics like every four years? They were doing this stuff like every other year. It was a big deal. And as you would walk in, what you would see is, boom, there's Poseidon. You weren't really wondering who was one of the gods that they were worshiping. And just to make sure that they had covered all of their bases, they even had a statue to all of the gods just in case. Just in case. This is, this is Corinth. But what the people believed is that the temples that they would go into, these were the meeting places between the people and the gods. That's where it actually happened. And many of the gods were cruel and they were unpredictable. And you'd go to the temple to put off the gods' anger, but also to draw up their favor for crops and for rain that we finally got this week, right? They were worried about that and they would make animal sacrifices. And the reason is because animals were the money of that day. They were the currency of the day, less so the exchange. So here's the way it looked. The animals that had been, had been consecrated to the gods, a third of the animal went to the gods. Another third would go to, to, would go to people to eat in a temple feast. There's the, sec the second third. So you're ingesting and you're, they believe, inviting that God into you. But the, the final third went out to the market. So they had finished their worship services and whatnot. You with me? And the final third of the meat, they were like, we'll send it out to the markets. Now, imagine that you're a Christian in Corinth and you're walking through the markets. You've come from this pagan background. That's what you did. And as you're going through the meat section, the most important section, as you're going through the meat section, you're sitting there going, I know where this has been. I know where this meat has come from. What's the right thing to do? And so you can see why it's an issue. Because some Christians that had matured in their faith, that it wasn't bothering them at all. It wasn't even disturbing their conscience. They're like, it's food. But you had some other Christians that it still created a little bit of a stir in their spirit. The question that it brings up for us today is this question. How do you make a decision when the area that you're making a decision about is gray? Because it was gray for them. Can you see the tension that they're feeling yet? I wanna give you some things to think about today that I hope will guide you a little bit because my guess is you will also find yourself in a situation, possibly not meat that's been sacrificed to idols, I get it, but another place where you go, I'm not exactly sure what to do here. Have you ever been there before? Because that's where the Corinthians were at. I wanna give you some ways to think about it. Hopefully it's of good use to you. First, I wanna talk about what's not a gray area. I wanna talk about what is clear. Um, when it came to meats that were sacrificed to idols, here was basically what Paul said to them. Don't eat if the host is actually asking you to raise a cup to Apollos. Don't do it. I mean, if they are actually in the middle of a worship service to another God, you bow out. That much is absolutely clear. Because what you're not supposed to be doing is trying to mix the purity of your faith with what's going on around you. You step out of that situation. All right, that one is easy. But what about the rest of it? When it's not in the middle of like a worship service where something's being consecrated to a God, what do you do? Here are a couple of things to think about. Now we go to the grays. Are you ready? And I have some notes up here. I want you to feel free to take your phone out and you can take a picture of the screen so that you have this for future use. I hope it's of some benefit. Here's some questions that I want you to be asking yourself when you find yourself in this situation. And here's the first. Will the action be helpful to me? 
Will the action that I'm considering be helpful to me? Paul gives us this in 1 Corinthians chapter six. He says, well, everything is permissible for me, but here's what he says, but not everything is beneficial. Sometimes it's not a matter of, are you permitted to do something? It's that when you're making a decision on the whole, you go, you know what, this, this is probably not the best decision. I'll give you an example. If you were to look in scripture and find a, cha- a book, a chapter, and a verse that says that you can't consume alcohol, you're not gonna actually find it. It's not in there. However, you might in a moment say, you know what, even though I might be permitted to do something like this, it's not beneficial for me to do. I'm out. You see what I'm getting at? You've got to ask that first question. Is it going to be helpful to me if, in fact, I actually do this? Will a particular activity make me better in Christ, raise me to a higher spiritual level? In other words, the question should not be, am I free to do this? The question is, is it good for me to do this as a man or a woman in Jesus? That's a different question. That's the first thing that you need to answer. Here's the second thing. Will this action potentially enslave me? Now that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Enslave me? I mean, that sounds kind of crazy. But when you think about it, most of the patterns that we have in terms of finding ourselves literally held back in sin, what scripture might be calling a stronghold of sin, started with something that was very simple. Most people don't wake up on a Tuesday morning and say, you know, today is the day that I'm gonna have an affair. Instead, it was the steady and gradual steps that they took in investing in a relationship that wasn't the one that was portioned for them in their marriage. And the next thing you know, they find themselves, well, attracted to somebody else. It was the gradual stuff that got them there. Will this action potentially enslave me? If you looked at 1 Corinthians 6, 12, remember the first part, well, everything is permissible for me. Not everything is beneficial, but here's what Paul said, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. The question for you this morning is, have you made decisions, even if they're gradual ones, that have put you under the control of something? And now what you find is that you're basically held back by the stronghold that it has over your life. And it could be any number of things. You might just be angry. Not that there are circumstances around you that justifiably made you upset. You're just angry. Or you're just bitter. Or you're just vindictive. Or you're just hateful. And now what this is, is it's become the loop pattern for your life. It's just where you are anymore. And you're sitting there going, how did I get there? And the answer is, with a first step. Just like all of us. It was with a first step. And we never got to the point of saying, where, if I, if I make this choice, where might this lead me? There's an old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. This question speaks to that truth. Will this action potentially enslave me? Third question you might want to ask, because notice those are about, how's this going to impact me? That's fair. How about this one? Will this action encourage others? And I mean in a good way. Will this action encourage others? If you're to look later in 1 Corinthians chapter eight, Paul says, therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I'll never eat meat again. (laughs) I read that and I was like, well, I don't know about that. But if if food causes my brother to fall, I, I will never eat meat again. Here's why. So that I won't cause my brother to fall. 
I want you to hear the heart of Paul. If you were to read, if you were to read Romans, in Romans chapter nine, Paul says, I wish that I could be condemned so that those others could be saved. I mean, what kind of a heart is that? I wish that I could be condemned. But now in 1 Corinthians chapter eight, notice what he's saying. I might be free to eat the meat, just go to the market, get the lamb chops, have a good dinner, but it might actually cause a brother or sister to struggle. Well, it's not worth them struggling. I'll pass on the meat. We'll be vegetarian for a night is basically what he's saying. And it's absolutely the same for you. You need to be asking the question for whatever choice it is that I'm about to make. Is it going to be a positive encouragement in building up a brother or sister in the faith? And if the answer to that is no, pass. It's not so much about your freedom as much as it is about their good. Or how about this question, number four. If I do this, is it gonna help my gospel witness? Is it gonna help my gospel witness? Or on the flip side, hurt it. We wouldn't want that, right? We wouldn't want that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33, Paul says, give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things. It isn't gonna happen, by the way. He says, but I try. I, I don't try to walk around and just tick people off just cause. I, I try. He says, I don't seek my own profit. I seek the profit of many. And here was why, so that they can be saved. Because this is coming from a guy that knew what it was like to not be. He knew. Harry Ironside, he was a famous preacher. He told of an incident that is kind of a picture of what we've been talking about. On one occasion, he was at a picnic of Christians and there was a man who had converted from Islam. By the way, his name was Muhammad Ali. And I know you're thinking the boxer, but don't. His name was Muhammad Ali. Well, a girl brought a basket of sandwiches up to him and asked if he would like some. And he said, well, what do you have? And she said, oh, uh, I'm afraid all we have left are ham and pork. Well, that's a problem if your background is Muslim and everybody around you is Muslim. And he said, do you have any beef? And she said, no, they're all gone. And here's what he said. He said, well, uh, then I'm not gonna have any. And she knew that he had become a Christian. He had, he had left Islam. So she knew that he was a Christian. So she said to him, I'm a little surprised. Uh, don't you know that as a Christian, you're, you're freed from all of those food restrictions and that you can eat pork or ham or whatever you like. And he said, yeah, I know that. I know that I'm free to eat pork, uh, but I'm also free to not eat it. I'm still involved with my family back in the Near East. And I know that when I go home once a year and I come up to my father's door, the first question that he's going to ask me is, have those infidels taught you to eat the filthy hog meat yet? <laughs> and here's what he said. He said, if I have to say to him, yes, I'll be banished from that home and I'll have no further witness in it. Here's what he went on to say. But if I can say, as I have always been able to say, no, Father, no pork has ever passed my lips. Then I have admittance to the family circle and I'm free to tell them of the joy that I found in Jesus. He said, so therefore I'm free to eat or I am free to not eat as the case may be. See, notice what he did is he balanced the weight of what the decision could be in terms of its possible impact. And he says, I'll pass on a good to get something that's better. 
it's an important question to ask. Is what I'm about to do going to hinder my gospel witness? Here's question number five. Will this violate my conscience? Will this violate my conscience? Did you notice that the, early, the Christians in the church in Corinth disagreed on this? Some were like, don't eat. It's like condoning it. And they're like, I'm not condoning anything. I'm just having snacks, right? And they go back and forth about it enough so that they start to fight about it. Some people are having to answer this question on the level of their personal conscience. And one of the reasons is because if they were to participate in it, they knew that it was very likely going to draw them back from what they had left before. They're like, it's not for me. That isn't gonna be good for me. And so I have to take heed to my conscience. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 10, 25 to 29. He said, eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For, For the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you wanna go, eat everything that's set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is offered to an idol, he said, don't eat it. Out of consideration for the one who told you, and for conscience sake. I do not mean your own conscience. I mean the other person's conscience. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? Mindful of those that are around you and minister to them in the situations that they find themselves in. And then finally, the sixth question that I want you to be asking yourself this morning is this. Is what I'm about to do actually going to be loving those around me? Because love will limit your freedom. Love will limit your freedom. Think of it like this. Um, I love my wife. That's good, right? I love my wife. Now, I could personally have a lot of freedom, y'all. I could have the freedom to wake up one morning and catch a plane and go off, have a lot of fun. Nothing wrong with that at all, right? But I don't do those kinds of things. And do you know why? It's because I love my wife, that's why. I love her. I want to be present with her. I want to help love and raise our kids. And I can't do that if I'm constantly gone, just enjoying my best life. I got to make a different decision. My love for her actually limits some of the freedom of things that I would otherwise have, at least for a season. Get the last kid out and then it's like, you know, let's go have some fun. But we're a long way off from that. Love will limit your freedoms. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul said, with regard to food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have, have knowledge, which by the way means someone who thinks they're something. This is a person that's kind of puffed up. He says, knowledge puffs up, but here's what happens. Love will build up. Love will build up. And so he says, be careful. I love this quote. He said, it isn't about someone thinking less of you because of what they see you doing. It's not so much about that. It's about someone thinking less of Christ because they follow your example. It's more about that. The story is told of Richard Bellinger. Uh, He was a minister, uh, or his father was a minister. He was a young boy who was the son of this pastor. And one night, Richard decided to shine his father's shoes. Back in the day when you shine shoes, right? So he decided to shine his father's shoes. The next night, his father put a silver dollar on his desk. That's a big day, by the way, with a note. And in the note, he just commended him for actually taking the personal initiative and doing something that was really kind for him. And the next morning, when Richard's father put on his shoes, he felt something that was hard inside his shoe. And so he pulled it off and he looked. 
and it was that coin. But along with the coin, on the flip side, there was actually just a little bit of note, a, a, a small note connected to the silver dollar. And all it said was, I did it for love. I did it for love. That's how we should work. Pass on some things that we have some freedom in because we have love for the people that we're trying to bless. I was sharing with you earlier, um, you know, there was a group of us, we went over into Central Asia. Uh, My group hiked almost 10,000 feet up a mountain. And I gotta tell you, friends, we were thrilled when we got to the crest of the mountain, when we were tired. But to look down and to see tents, uh, the first sign of life, aside from bears, (laughs) that we were looking for. And I just wanted to share something with you because this, I think, is really what it's all about. So we're, we're trying to minister to shepherds that have literally never heard the gospel of Jesus. We, we like hear it all the time, don't we? They've never heard it. And I remember having a conversation. You kind of think, man, how, how are we gonna like talk to these people? Like, how are we gonna connect with these people? And so... Was talking with one of, our, one of our friends and said, well, how about you actually read the parable of the lost sheep in Turkish um, and then I'll start a conversation. And he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. So we did. And it's all this story about you have all these sheep and this one sheep walks away. What does a shepherd do for the sheep that's walked away? It's that parable. And so we read the parable to them and And I just said, okay, let me ask you a question because you're talking about a bunch of shepherds. The sheep were literally right outside of the tent at that point. Have you ever had a sheep walk off from you? And through the translator, everything through the translator, like, oh yeah, absolutely. I said, well, what did you do? You're like, well, you solidify kind of the group that's there and you know, you 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 gotta go get it. And I was like, okay. Well, when the sheep was walking off, did it just kind of keep walking off? And like, yeah, that's just kind of what they do. And I was like, okay. And it kind of struck me in a way that I could connect with them that they're actually getting the gospel better than they think because we're the sheep that walks off. And this was the question that I asked. I said, if if, if we're like a sheep that walks off, how could we possibly know God unless he, like you, came to get you? How could you know? You're just walking off. How could you possibly know God unless God said, I see where you're going and I'm coming after you? Friends, that is the gospel in a picture is that while we were yet sinners, Christ came to us, Christ died for us and he rose for us. The choice this morning is only whether or not you're going to receive what he's offering you today. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.